0: Welcome to Property Development Live. I'm Margaret Ann Merrick. This week, we have something slightly different. My friend and former colleague, Kate Robinson, is going to interview me about my background in property and journalism, marketing, communications. I hope you find it as much fun to listen to as we found it to record. And I hope you also learn something about our background in property and about my background in marketing and communications and how this can help you on your property development journey.
1: My name's Kate Robinson. I'm a friend and former colleague of Margaret Ann's and today I'm simply going to ask you some questions about your background in communications. So, would you like to tell me why you got into communications in the first place?
0: I always loved writing. I was a child who was always either reading a book or writing a book or creating a magazine. And so when I was about 11, I sent a letter into the local newspaper and it was published and I was awarded star letter, which meant I received a cheque for £10, which was my first cheque and it also shifted being a writer from being a dream to a possibility. And I didn't know anyone who worked in the media, so it'd always been a fantasy that I could be a journalist or, or be a writer. And then that letter being published was a sign that actually, possibly, I could work in the media after all. That represented quite a shift for me. I went to university when I was older, studied English, and whilst I was at university, I worked on the local newspaper. It was just starting up. I was on the editorial board. I wrote articles, I edited articles. It was very hands-on. It was a really good experience to get started in the media. Once I graduated, I was accepted by DC Thompsons, who are the biggest publisher in Scotland, and worked on one of their titles as a sub-editor and on the features desk. I've also spent time working on local radio stations, And then I moved into working in communications and PR with a range of different companies, actually, with some large corporates like Scottish Power, some large charities like Girl Guiding and also Skiath. And then I moved into consultancy where I've worked with different companies, people running small businesses, property businesses. And and so I've worked with them on their communications plans, their marketing plans and their business planning.
1: So you've done some writing from an early age. Can you tell us
0: about your experience in radio? When I graduated, I did a postgrad short course in radio and TV um, production script writing. Uh, after that, I worked on some RSL radio stations, which are restricted service stations, so they have um license for a short period of time and they work in a local area so I worked on a few of those and then I started volunteering with Hospital Radio which is where I met Paul my husband we were both volunteering obviously now we are both working on the Property Development Live podcast And in a way, it feels like we've come full circle. Our relationship started across microphones and mixing desks. And now we have microphones and mixing desks set up in our living room, again, for the Property Development Live podcast. So you must have
1: heard some very inspiring stories over the years and met people who've done some fairly amazing things. Is there any particular instance you can talk about that would really paint a picture for us of why communications is so important for getting that message out to the wider public?
0: I think sometimes people miss that communications and journalism is, it's a big responsibility. You know, being a journalist is about giving people a voice. It's about giving people a platform. And often people will confuse journalists with columnists, they'll think that journalists are about telling their own point of view. And that's that's not a journalist, that's a columnist. And a journalist is about giving other people a platform so they can tell their stories. It's not about the journalist knowing everything, it's about the journalist finding the people who know and making them accessible. So it's journalist's job to find experts, to interview them, to find the people who are at the heart of stories, and to bring their voices to as wide an audience as possible. And that is a big responsibility because you have a responsibility to the audience and you have a responsibility to the people whose words you are reporting. It's important that you don't change the meaning of them. It's important that you don't add your own bias or slant to it. It literally is about being a conduit for other people. It's about telling other people's stories. And, you know, definitely working in an aid agency like SKIA and meeting people from all parts of the globe with completely different life experiences. Um, People who were living with HIV AIDS, people who were fleeing to refugee camps in Darfur, people who had survived the tsunami, um, meeting people who had been in extreme situations, who had been in life-threatening situations, and also meeting the people who worked with them, you know, meeting people who worked on justice and reconciliation in Rwanda, who had lost family, um, but were now working towards peace. Uh, It was a big responsibility to bring their words and their stories back to Scotland and Indeed, not just to Scotland, sometimes because of the network of aid agencies that we worked with. Sometimes the stories we were bringing back were going out to other countries too. It was a responsibility to honour their stories, to honour their life experiences. And it was also a privilege. It was a privilege to be given access to them, for them to share their stories with me. That sense of responsibility and privilege, it's... It goes hand in hand actually working in communications working in PR working in journalism it's both a responsibility and a privilege and I'm very grateful for all the experiences it has brought me for all of the amazing people it has allowed me to meet and to work with and you know and definitely some of those people some of those stories are with me all the time you don't walk away from some stories some stories stay with you and live with you that duality. The duality of responsibility and privilege um, is a theme, it's a thread that also runs through to my work in property. In fact, one of the first radio features that I did was a feature about housing and homelessness. And having come through working on the local newspaper, I attended lots of housing meetings and Council meetings, housing association meetings and indeed I went on to serve on the Management Board of the local housing association because I was very passionate about housing I was very passionate about people's right to a safe secure home and actually that need that need for a home that need for security in that home that need for that home to be safe that is universal and And I could see that across all of my work. But I could also see that providing a home um, was both a privilege and a responsibility. And that view is the view that I took into working in property. And indeed, it's one of the values or principles that I know myself and Paul share. And it's been interesting watching how the, the property industry has changed and watching kind of the peaks and troughs, not in a financial sense, but actually in the sense of the people becoming involved in the industry. Lots of people are drawn to it and they see it as a financial opportunity. And they're almost oblivious to the fact that providing a home to people is not just about finances, it's a responsibility and it's a privilege. It's a privilege if you can provide a home for someone. Appreciating that is integral to what we do, what myself and Paul do in our business, and it's integral to the messages that we're trying to put out on Property Development Live as well. And commercial property is important from that point of view too. If you're providing a base for someone's business, then that business will enable them to feed their families, clothe their families, pay for their housing. So you have to view property through that prism of both privilege and responsibility.
1: When I knew you, you were involved in promoting work on print and radio, but obviously social media has since come along and changed things very differently. Do you see that as an opportunity and what are the challenges with it?
0: Social media has changed journalism and communications enormously. You know, you've had this massive growth in citizen journalism um, and you have just this constant bombardment of information on social media and that is both an opportunity and a challenge and a risk because there is such accessibility that it means we have to be much more critical consumers. Also social media represents a massive risk as well as a massive opportunity for small businesses for large businesses. In the past, if I was working with a small business or or with a large business or a charity, I would always say, you know, once we put out this story, we can't control it because no matter how good your PR is, once the story is in the public domain, you can't control how people will respond to it. You can't control how other media will respond to it. You can't control what responses will be published about it and you know that's even more true now of social media because it's almost it's almost like the wild west of communications there's very little oversight there's very little standard there's so much freedom and there's so much anonymity that it's quite easy to find yourself caught up in a storm of negative publicity or to be caught up in a storm of threats even and that's a real risk for companies it's a real risk for individuals it's important as an individual as a small business to consider if you actually need to comment on everything it's a sign of growth i think to feel i have an opinion on this but i don't need to share it and it's an even bigger sign of growth to say actually i don't have to have an opinion on this so there's this big social media storm raging about something and actually, as an individual, as a business, I don't need to become involved in this. And that's not to say that you shouldn't have any principles in your business. It's just to say that oftentimes social media isn't the best place to be making those kinds of statements. And when you add in the fact that social media is obviously a global medium, then there's mass, massive scope for things to be misunderstood and for stories to go wrong, because you're dealing with a global context and culture is so different across the world as you know as as we both know having worked in different countries and having worked with people from different countries so you're opening yourself up in a way on social media that you just weren't able to do in the past and you really have to balance whether the benefits of social media are worth it or not for your company and sometimes they will be and for large companies oftentimes It's worth it to have it as a means of communicating with our customers. But for small companies, the research on social media translating to sales is still quite inconclusive. So there is a question over whether it's beneficial for you to be on it or not, and whether it's it's beneficial for you to be very active on it and feeling that you have to respond to everything.
1: And what bit of work? Is most exciting for you, whether it's something you've done or something you're looking to do?
0: When I was a teenager, around about 18, 19, um, I always said that I wanted to be KAD. And I realised that will date me because there will be people listening to this who don't really know who KAD was. And she was a journalist who used to report a lot from overseas about... um, issues that were happening there from wars to famines and so I remember when I was a student and we were out one night and the people sitting at the next table were journalists and my friends were saying you know Margaret Ann wants to be Kate Heddy. and it turned out they had worked with Kate Heddy. And they were saying, oh, well, you know, we know Kate Adie and she's great, and it's definitely accessible. And it was just another of those little pointers that said to me, oh, it, it would be possible, or it could be possible to be a journalist. And when I was working with skiaf and I was working in international development, there was a day when I was in Sudan. I was actually in a refugee camp in Darfur, and... I was doing an interview on the satellite phone with Radio 4 and I suddenly thought, you know, this is as close to k or being K-80 that I'm ever going to get and it was a big milestone for me and I suppose, you know, looking at my past career that was definitely a highlight because I really felt I was fulfilling a dream by being out there reporting on a crisis that was unfolding bringing it back to a massive audience and that was what I had always wanted to do. So that's my past career highlight. Currently, you know, I still love proofreading and editing. The other day I spent two hours editing a document and that brings me great pleasure. <laughs> there's, there's almost nothing I like more than going through a document with my red pen, um, looking out for inconsistencies, spelling mistakes, grammatical errors. It's still an absolute joy to me. The time flies by. Um, going forward, what am I excited about? I'm excited about seeing how the Property Development Live project finishes. And I'm really excited to see the finished conversion, which is a commercial to residential conversion. I'm really excited to see the new build houses. I'm excited to see the way they work together. I'm also excited to see how the Property Development Live YouTube channel and podcast and Facebook page all develop and grow, how that community develops and works together. So yeah, there's there's still a lot about work that excites me. I am someone who's who's quite positive, who's probably a glass half-full person rather than a glass half-empty person. So there's still Lots of potential for different exciting projects to come down the track. And I'm excited about that too. I'm excited about the things that are going to come across my path that I can't even foresee yet.
1: I still listen to Kate Adie on From Our Own Correspondent on Radio 4 and I still get that thrill of bringing stories from across the world to my front room. When you worked at SCIAF, you were really a communications officer from memory and that was about promoting... Lots of different issues and the organisation that the organisation was advocating on. So, how did you use that experience for later work in advocating on behalf of communities in the UK? Although
0: there are differences if you're advocating on behalf of international development issues or whether you're advocating on work in the UK, there are similarities and there are quite a lot of transferable skills. So, when there was working on international campaigns like make poverty history or the trade justice movement then we were working on producing documents and communications that were easily accessible and there was a different level of detail and information depending on the audience whether it be school children or whether writing a briefing for a cross-party committee at parliament so taking that adaptability Um, was important for working on the campaigns in the UK as well and in the UK our campaigns were based around about regeneration Although you know within property circles. There's a big discussion about whether it is regeneration or whether it's Regentrification about moving out local businesses and attracting in new businesses, you know, possibly shifting from industrial and manufacturing to office-based businesses and light manufacturing and splitting communities up and moving them out and trying to attract in new people either as commuters or people who work in the new businesses that have been brought into the area. So there's a lot of politics involved in that at so many different levels and that's where we used our advocacy skills and that's where we got involved in campaigning. So what we would do would be help to keep our clients informed about how the regeneration would impact them. You know, lots of people don't think about city plans. When they're sitting in their home or their business, they're not considering what that looks like on a map and how that map is being redrawn or reshaded in a council office. And what we helped to do is to bring that information to them, to make that accessible to them. You know, because most people are remote from those kind of decision making processes. So we tried to bring both sides together. So we'd have meetings with people involved in the regeneration and with the local authority and with the people on the ground. And we would bring the people out from their offices. So the people who were heading up the regeneration we would bring them out on site so they could meet people in their homes, they could meet people in their businesses and basically, we would try to humanise the impact. And actually, that's something that you do with any campaign, whether it's an international development campaign or a UK campaign. You want to make people see the people who are involved and who are impacted by their decisions. You know, because it's easy to draw lines on a map. Because if you're sitting in an office, in the planning office, in your regeneration office, then you can't see where children are playing on the map. You can't see the brick. mortar buildings. You can't see the people that live there. You can't see what an area means to the community. You know, any community that you go into, there will be places where people congregate. There will be places that are integral to that community's sense of identity. And actually none of that shows up on a map. None of it shows up on the planning map. And that makes it much easier for people in offices to draw lines, to change designations, to route roads, to mark areas for regeneration and they actually have no idea what the impact of that means on the ground. And so what we did in our advocacy, you know, in property in communications, you bring it down to the individual level. And that definitely impacted the regeneration agency's approach to moving companies, to moving businesses, to moving families, to moving homes. And it impacted their approach to how they should compensate people for that. And one of the other aspects of our work was to attend public consultations. And we felt very strongly that we should help the community to have a joint voice because public consultations can seem quite fragmented. Obviously, the organisers are brought in and they are independent and they are impartial. And then they create a report about what they thought the outcome of the consultation was. And quite often we found there was a gap. There was a gap between the perception of the people in the room about how the consultation had gone. And the final report that was produced by the people who were running the consultation. Now, the people who were running the consultation were impartial, but arguably you shouldn't be impartial when you're dealing with people's lives. You know, Arguably, you should be emotionally involved because you're making decisions that impact on homes, that impact on businesses, that impact on communities. You should be aware of the emotional and psychological effect of that as well as the effect on the built environment. And so what we did was to collate the community response so that that could be fed back alongside the public consultation feedback. You know, and it, it's important when you think about communities to think about what it means to the people who live there because all of those things seem quite nebulous. They're not in black and white on the plan. Um, there's not a little line around them, but they are so important. And for us, that's why the advocacy work was so important. It was important to work closely with the community to make sure their voices were heard. And it was also important to act as a bridge between the community and the agencies that were doing the work. So we worked closely with the regeneration agencies, with the local authority, and we helped them to implement and cement good practice into their negotiations with the people whose lives they were affecting. You know, we were uniquely placed to coordinate responses. We were praised quite highly by the head of the Regeneration Agency for the role that we were able to fulfil because it was quite a unique role and it definitely benefited the people on the ground in the community and it helped the Regeneration Agency and the local authority to consider their regeneration priorities in a slightly different light.
1: So we're in the midst of lockdown. I don't think anybody in the country hasn't been affected to some degree. A lot of people's job situations has changed. What are you looking forward to as the lockdown restrictions gradually ease?
0: I'm looking forward to seeing my family and friends again in real life, not just on a computer screen or a WhatsApp and I'm looking forward to being able to travel further afield than my own garden or a five mile radius and from a business point of view I'm looking forward to having meetings again to being able to go into the office to be able to catch up with the property development live people in real life both in our office and on site to catch up with what's happening there and I'm looking forward to meeting up again and chatting with the businesses that we're helping with their business planning you know I've worked with large corporates and they are very good at risk assessing and they're very good at contingency planning. And one of the things I'm looking forward to seeing is whether living through a pandemic has impacted on the way that small businesses approach things like that. I think often they can be a bit lax. So they don't really risk assess as well as they could. They they don't really put enough in place to mitigate against unforeseen circumstances. And I'm looking forward to seeing how having come through a pandemic changes that. And also, I think whether having lived through a pandemic will give people a sense of urgency, you know, whether there will be more people keener to move on to progress more quickly with their businesses, whether that be, you know, buying a site or converting commercial premises to residential or or whatever it may be. Um, I'll be interested to see if there's been almost like a a subtle shift in the in the zeitgeist in the psychology of people in business. So yeah, I'm looking forward to all of that. These are quite historic times, and and it will be interesting to see just how impactful this has been on people and on businesses. Thank you very much, Margaret Anne. I think we've run out of questions and run out of
1: time. I've really enjoyed hearing about your history in this business and stories that I hadn't heard before.
0: And thank you very much for interviewing me, Kate. It's been a pleasure talking to you as always. I'm Margaret Ann Merrick and this is Property Development Live. Thank you for sharing this with us and hopefully you'll tune in again to the podcast or check out our YouTube channel at Property Development Live or the Facebook page. Thank you. Goodbye.